Let's see. Michigan. Oh, oh yeah, it is a ways. Yeah. <laughs> huh. It's probably a 10 to 12 hour drive. Well, but the fl- I could fly there. And you then, could fly uh, there. You're going to uh, fly there for free wine? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends, Dave. How much is there? Um, all right, so it is Tuesday, the 26th of April, and uh, this is on Taking Pictures. This is episode 209. Wow. 209. Hey, next week, uh, yep. I, I, let's do a Q&A. Do you want to do a Q&A show next Q&A. week? Q&A. All right, I so like Q&A, Q&A show next week. Uh, live Q&A show. We'll get this whole level thing sorted out. Sorry about that. So it's, we'll take questions from people who send them in. Also, questions that come in via Twitter while we're doing it. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so OTP Live is right. the... Is the I, you know, I looked for other hashtags. I, that seems to be a, an That's okay fine. one. You think then again, okay? you and I don't get so many tweets that we can't just watch our Twitter streams anyway. That is true. That is true. So um, if you don't use that, we'll, we'll figure it out. And uh, if podcast on taking pictures.com, if you want to send them in, or of course, send in a question, uh, 347-687-9411, leave a voicemail. Uh, so it is on taking pictures, Jeffrey Sidoris, DC, Bill Wadman in Brooklyn. That's right. Hey, what, what's it like up there? Is it, is it spring? Uh, spring has sprung for the most part. Although last night we had a really nasty uh, thunderstorm that woke me up and I was wearing earplugs. It was that loud. Um, do you, wait, do you often wear earplugs when you sleep? Um, I have for the past six months or so, which I think it might be a bad habit, but, um, I have been like, I feel like I sleep more soundly when I do. Huh? Okay. Is that crazy? I don't know. I've never, uh, it's, I, not, I've never... it's not that my neighborhood is that loud. It's just sort of like if something wakes me up or, you know, if Conrad snores or turns over or gets up to, you know what I mean? Like that right, kind of right. stuff can like wake you up and you go, eh. So I think I, I'm more sensitive to light than sound in terms of sleeping. Okay, yeah. And in the morning, a lot of times, um, uh, in the morning, the, we we don't have shades on the window right next to our window, so it's like, like blast you, like really wakes you up. But I, you don't, oh, really, you don't have anything on your windows. Well, we I used to on the one right next to the bed, and then we've gotten rid of it. And so I was just, we were just trying it out and it actually does wake you up. And, you know, you get that whole like, okay, sunrise, circadian get up kind of thing. Um, although I'd often just turn around and <laughs> go back to sleep. <laughs> Screw you, daylight. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sons, suck it. Um, yeah, stupid massive. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's, uh, so it is beautiful. Although, uh, you may hear some, uh, construction outside my window going on during the show. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, I, I tried to get them to come another day, but they weren't listening to me. So They had none of it. They had none of it. They were like, uh, hey, Wadman, I yeah. got your other day right here. Yeah, yeah. They, they totally look like that, too. <laughs> uh, Say hi, so Fred. Before we started the show, uh, we were talking about Prince. We were talking about Prince. Uh, you know, somebody, you know, a couple people have been like, F you, 2016, with, you know, Bowie and Prince and... and yeah. Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. Um, it's, Somebody else, right? It's really weird. And, and I'd like to get to something else, too. But, but you were talking about – go ahead. Oh, uh, so there's a, a woman who uh, was uh, Prince's uh, recording engineer uh, back in the day. Uh, her name said, is uh, Purple Rogers, Rain and Susan Sign Rogers. Of the Times. Yeah, so like from 80, that record, by 85 the way. to 90 times. or something, 84 to 90. Yeah, that's probably 
the the peak for me. It got a little That's weird a after record. that. Did um, you hear uh, Nina Simone's version? I don't know uh, that I have. Uh, I'll, I'll find it and put it in there. Although I'm one of those people who never thought that Purple Rain was that great of a song. Maybe I'm just I don't, I don't get that one. But anyway, so there was a there was a she she did some radio interviews and she was talking about Prince's recording process and how back in the day before they built Paisley Park, they used to go between a little home studio they had and uh, a studio in Minneapolis. And then they would fly to L.A. to do like bigger tracks at like Ocean Way or wherever, you know, some big place out in L.A. And uh, that Prince would want to record whenever he was ready and everything had to be ready. So. All the instruments had to be tuned and ready and mic'd up because there was no, okay, we did the guitar. Well, let's now set up the thing. It's like, no, I'm going over to the drums and record. You know, it was that kind of oh, thing. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they had to be like super, uh, super like on point for all that kind of stuff. She's like, I had to be as good at what I did as he was about what he does, you know, which which I thought was was pretty nice. Um, and so he, uh, she, they're going back and forth. They're talking about this kind of stuff. And, and the interviewer said, you know, you hear all these stories about how much of a perfectionist Prince was, right. Was he, he must've been a real nightmare when it came to stuff, uh, 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 when you were recording like sound and all the rest of it. And she said, actually, no, Hmm. that Prince saw his music as two different things. One was the song and one was the recording. And he was more concerned about the song than he was about the recording. Huh. Like if, if, if recording and getting a better sound from something was slowing down the process of actually making the music, he wouldn't have any of it. He was just like, let's just keep going. Which well, I, I, I thought was kind of interesting. For a long time, he was in the studio every day laying down tracks. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, like he's, that. There's this huge back. What what were you saying? Well, before? yeah. So apparently he has. There is a actual bank vault at Paisley Park, like a you know big giant vault door that uh, also apparently doubles as a. Uh, and inside, there's a 128 gig SD card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It used to be a room full of two inch and quarter half inch right. tapes, and now it's they open up this giant door, it, and there's a little a small portable hard drive. Room. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, apparently it also doubles as uh, like an air raid shelter because they actually get tornadoes that go through mm. there, so they mm-hmm. have to have mm-hmm. a, a shelter. But uh, in it is all of all of the tapes, and that some people have said that he has up like an album a year for the rest of the century, kind of stuff. That he has like wow. tens of albums that can come out. Uh, full so of material that he never that? well then there's that's, the question that right seems to be the big conundrum right because some yeah. people say his sister yes although apparently he did not have a will that anyone's found and which is crazy to me somebody who was that anal about owning their masters and controlling all their stuff like sure didn't have some sort of plan in place apparently a number of people would suggest stuff like that to him and then he would fire them because it, was, it wasn't what he wanted to hear um which is you know that's the problem with with being such a powerful person is that you just surround yourself with yes men, right? And then you don't get happen, any good. Sure. Yeah, and you don't get any good. A lot of people don't get good advice. So, um, yeah, so apparently there's no will. And uh, w- what's going to happen? According to Minnesota state law, it goes to brothers and sisters because he didn't have any living children. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, but apparently Prince has like six brothers and sisters, but only, is it Tiga, Tyga? 
Tiger, I don't know how you pronounce okay. her name. It's T T Y, isn't it T Y G A? Yeah. So apparently she is the only full sibling. The others are half siblings, but according to Minnesota law, they all get equal shares hmm. if there's no will. So it could be a big, giant, messy battle. And then there's the question of how much the how much control Warner Brothers has in sure. releasing this stuff after he dies. So it's going to be a complete cluster. But um, I just thought it was interesting that 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 he was a perfectionist, but not on everything. Like he realized that he had to let certain things go in order to get the stuff done. I'll put a link in show notes for some from stuff uh, some stuff. But I thought it was interesting. Um, well, you know. <sighs> Before we well, move on, I mean, who do you, <sighs> who do you think you are? No, no. I mean, who's, who's left that it's at, at that sort of iconic, creative, writes everything, plays everything, is so fastidious about living, who's left? Well, uh, I think there are, uh, well, <sighs> at that you, level, I'm not, I mean, well, there are a ton of talented me. people out there. But that you could that you could point to like Bowie, like Prince, like Madonna, that 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 really sort of were iconic for generations. Yeah, well, McCartney, maybe. Yeah, sure. But you're also discounting all the stuff that's come since we cared. You know what I mean? Like there are certain people who would say Beyonce would be the same level, you know, so or Kanye Hmm. or whoever else is big nowadays that I don't know because I'm stupid. Um, You know what I mean? Like like we don't. Maybe Jay Z. I mean, he's pretty. Yeah, I guess he's changed a lot. Of but it. it's interesting because a lot of that stuff becomes teams of people, right? You know, mm-hmm. those people don't do all the stuff themselves. I mean, well, and that, that, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, there know, were Beyonce's like the Todd Rundgrens and all the crazy people who, yes, came out yesterday. Where you? Yeah, say? and I'm sure that there were tons of writers and engineers and producers and musicians yeah. Yeah. and 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 I'm not discounting that, but it's different than. You know, Paul McCartney playing every instrument, recording, engineering the yeah. record, you yep. know, producing the record, that kind of thing. Yeah, Rundgren and all those yeah, guys. Rundgren, but that was sure. a very specific. Maybe that was a very specific time. You know, when when that was when that was being done, and now it's more about. I mean, we talk about collaboration a lot of times on this show, as if it's you know as if it's like uh, an obvious next step for a lot of this stuff, and the idea of the isolated artist is is antiquated. Right. You know, I mean, maybe we need to put up or shut up and say, well, you know what? Maybe that's true of everything, including music. So maybe it shouldn't be just one guy or one gal in the studio doing her thing. Maybe it needs to be a team. I mean, there are still people like, um, let's see, uh, uh, Imogen Heap, you know, just sits Mm -hmm. in her studio and records her stuff, you know. Um, So but but again, that's one facet of it. I'm talking about also having the sort of musical and cultural reach or or effect yeah like the the like uh, reaching into the and becoming part of the zeitgeist i i don't know either either i don't know that that happens anymore because things are so fractured or it is happening you and i are just out of touch maybe uh danny a says andrew wk and dave grohl come to mind yeah sure dave grohl i could go for yeah uh well that that flick that he made the the sound city that was a great movie yeah it's fun yeah uh but it's but I, yeah I don't know I there aren't I, a lot is what I'm I mean I guess that's the biggest no no there are and you know it's interesting somebody put up a video of Prince did a I, was it maybe an unplugged kind of thing where he's up on stage and he's my my favorite Prince song uh, was always uh, I can never uh, never take the place of your man you know that song no uh, it's off a sign of the times it's really good and 
he's up on stage and he's singing like uh, I forget what song. I mean, he's I know. I probably know it if I heard it, but I don't yeah. know it just by. It's know. it's it's catchy as all get up. It's like the best. It's the catchiest thing I think Prince ever wrote, and I just love the song. Anyway, he's up there on stage and he's playing a bunch of songs, and he's just sort of like jumping between songs, like singing a verse and a chorus of one, and then he just jumps to another one, and he puts like that a medley one. Type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he puts that one in the middle, and he just does like a verse and the pre-chorus. He's like, "You want to hear the chorus?" And everyone's like, "Ah!" And he's like, and he just plays it, and he just like moves on. He's like, "That reminds me of high school," you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And but you just listen to him, and you go, "Wow, this guy has like such." facility right like there's sure, just this sure. level of of and and a certain level of like commonality i don't know i it's like it's like my whole thing about i've been listening to a lot of jackson brown over the last year and you mm-hmm. listen to it and you go you know what all of these themes that he's talking about are very very universal you know sure, sure. like you like anyone could listen to this and go oh i get what he's talking about you know i mean if you know if you get beyond some really you know <laughs> northern or southern california like 70s white guy language you know that he would use um <laughs> but but beyond that if you get beyond laurel canyon <laughs> exactly but 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 i feel i feel like prince is the same way like if you really get beyond like all the flash and the clothes and whatever it is and sit him up on a stage with an acoustic guitar it still works and mm-hmm. for me when it comes to music that is sort of the gold standard like if you strip everything down and it's one person with one instrument and it still works then well that was the last the last tour right this little mini tour that he did uh it was him and a piano yeah, yeah, and it was it was no big band, no big dancers. It was just him playing. Yeah, and from from the clips that I've seen, there are a couple clips floating around from Atlanta, which was apparently the last uh, performance. And it, it's I mean it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's him just you you can you can feel the love that he has for what he does. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And you, you, you can see that the essence, even if you listen to a much more highly produced version, when it strings it all down and like distills it down to exactly the chords that matter and what he was trying to get at, that the larger production exploded, for lack of a better word, you know, to try mm-hmm. to make bigger. It's like, oh, yeah, it was all there in his head in the beginning. Like, it's not like he just kept adding stuff and it became this larger. Thing. It's like, no, he knew what he wanted. Right. And 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 there's something about that sort of vision that I think both you and I appreciate. And I don't know that I guess most people do, but like that's 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 the sort of vision that I get off on. You know, like yeah. that's what I yeah. that's what I look for. Um, yeah, it's it's sad to see him go, but like again, you know, millions of people die every year, right? You know, sure. uh, and but, um, but what? millions of people yeah yes millions of anonymous people die every year and i think the the difference is when people like prince or bowie or john lennon or elvis yeah there there's that shared experience there's that shared collective connection Ab- that we all feel and you know when when paul simon or mccartney or joni mitchell or you know what sure. i mean like when these people die those are going to be big moments too um yeah. You know what's kind of interesting though that they were saying that Prince didn't like to um uh, uh let people use his music, right? Like he 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 missed a lot of opportunity. I, a lot of I opportunities saw him for- talk about that on Tavis Smiley. He was kind of bummed out about it. He called what did he call it? Compulsory license. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, like said, the idea that can people just people take can just it and record. record. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, but at the same that that is 
that's a little different than what I was saying. But yes, you people can do that, right? They could take a Prince song and record it. He still gets money from it. It's not like he doesn't make any money but from that. Did he need the money? I mean, it seems like he would be offended well, apparently, at, at the horrible performance in his mind. Well, horrible? Like, there's, you know, is 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 the Bengals version of Manic Monday a terrible performance? Is Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You a terrible performance? I mean, these are Prince songs, you know. Um I think that there's there's a little bit of a assumption that his version would be better than anybody else's version, which mm-hmm. I don't know that's necessarily true. But I, I mean, his, him taking his own recordings and like lending them to movies or commercials or whatever it is, but that he didn't do that much of that. And even though his music was so valuable, he didn't actually have a lot of cash. Like he didn't have a lot of fluid assets because he would never let anybody use anything. Mm. And he would put on tours, but he wouldn't do a lot of planning. And while a lot of shows were really successful, some of them weren't. And he would lose a bunch of money. So that basically, he was a great artist, but wasn't as good of a businessman as everyone seemed to have made him out to be all these years. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens now that it's not in his hands anymore. Did did we, speaking of which, that that brings up something. Did did we talk about the David Carson clip? We did not. No, I don't think so. We did not. About okay, I know. I know you don't like David Carson, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to. No, 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 no. You can talk not gonna about brow beat you for that. I just give him crap for it. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, there's a video. Uh, maybe we can put it in the show notes. It's a Vimeo video, uh, uh, kind of a profile on David. And one of the things that you just said about Prince, David kind of addresses in the video. This is David Carson is. Uh, considered by many to be one of the greatest graphic designers of the 20th century and and moving into the 21st century. Um, Was uh, creative director and art director and uh, typographer and designer for magazines like Transworld Skateboarding and and, uh, Beach Culture. Raygun was his. Raygun was the big one. Um, And he before he got into graphic design, he was a surfer and was ranked eighth or ninth in the world. And found graphic design and it opened up a whole new career for him. But he's never lost a passion for surfing to the extent that he's purchased a house in the Caribbean. He says when he was cash rich, which doesn't happen very often. Um, but to, to the point I, I, that you reminded me of was he said that he decided a long time ago that he would rather experience the world than sit in an office making a lot of money. Yeah. And as yeah. a result of that – he doesn't often have a, I mean, he'll, he'll do big jobs and get a, a lot of money for, for a job, but then he also will blow off meetings or blow off lectures or blow off entire projects when the surf is good in the Caribbean and he can go down to his house and surf. Right. Yep. He's living uh, an experiential life. He's not just trying to collect a lot of cash. Right. And, and he addresses, you know, I've never been very good with money. It's always been about the work. Yeah. And that seems to be what I was getting at was that seems to be the way prince was was yeah. that it really was about the work and about the music yeah i mean i think that there's i think that it's a uh it's it's a long continuum where there's 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 consciously deciding that money's not the important thing and and like carson seems to have done and wanting to add more experience and then there's things like prince where he's doing things that he thinks are good for him when they're actually bad for him, but he won't listen to the people who know better. You know what I mean? Right. So right, th- right, right. I think that there's, there's a whole bunch of things. I, you know, um, I, do, do you watch game of Thrones? Uh, I watched the first season. Okay. Uh, so it started of game of Thrones. It started up again on Sunday. So I had to buy into HBO now or whatever it is for the next HBO couple of months. Go. So, HBO go. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Uh, 
and it allowed me to watch that Maplethorpe documentary that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. And oh, I wasn't, right. I watched it. And one of the interesting things uh, about it, and there's a larger conversation for another time, but as he was like dying, he says to his attorney, am I going to die with more money than Warhol? And, and, and hmm. his, 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 really? att- that was, huh. yeah, that was his thing. And it, and his attorney was like, no, right. You know, and 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 he was pissed. And then, of course, they go to a title card where now the Maplethorpe Foundation's worth two hundred and eighty million dollars. Or you know, it's all these prints that he had left over that are now right. gaining in value, or whatever. Um, but there is this thing where it's like for him, it was a it was like some sort of score that was being kept. Right. right. How much money he was going to die with? It's like well, dude, and the longevity of the work. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. hey, man, you're going to die in a matter of weeks or months or days or hours. Who gives a crap? You don't have any kids to hand it down to. It's not like there's, you know what I mean? Like, what do you care how much money there is? Like, you know what I'm saying? I just no, think I it's, mean, look, it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting thing yeah, that goes along with that, our conversation. People face that differently. I mean, there's a, there's a, a terrific Queen documentary that, that they were talking about when Freddie got sick. And, and Queen famously fought uh, over who gets the single. And because that's, you know, as you well know, it's the person that writes the music that makes the, makes the money, right? Yeah. So they they famously fought over over whose song goes on the record and whose song is the single and all this. Right. Right. And and when Freddie got sick, he brought all the band in and said, "Look, I've got this thing, and there is no cure, but I just want to make the most music that we can in the time that I have left." Right. Yeah. And they just put aside all of their BS and got to work. You know yeah. that it wasn't about. It was no longer about the money or the credit or the it was just about getting this out of my head into the studio onto vinyl. Yeah, it's just strange that it takes impending deaths for people to make that realization. You see what I'm saying? Would would you do anything differently when with face when if if you were faced with a similar somebody comes to you and says you, look, you've got I, a month to live would, would the amount would the quantity or or tone of your work be any different than it is now? I think that there, there the only part of me that really can, is concerned about money in a general sense is is will I have enough money to live when I get older and can't work anymore? Like there's a certain mm-hmm. element of that. But, what, but I mean, okay. But but, 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 but as a photographer, why wouldn't you be able to work? Just throwing out a hypothetical. Uh, well, well, if I mean, that, you're, you're, if you're that, not if, Jimmy, Jimmy Chin out, you know, like hanging from rocks and stuff. No, sure, sure. Um, j- just that uh, that that maybe the industry is completely gone, or I'm mm-hmm. physically unable to, or I have Alzheimer's. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Right. right? right like, okay. I become okay. incapacitated in some way. My point being is that, like, I am certainly not. You know, I live in a relatively modest apartment in Brooklyn, New York, which granted is one of the most expensive places in the world to live but but i don't um i don't care that much about things right like i'm not really a a collector of things all that much Mm. um and and i try to keep my life small because i realize that those things end up like burdening me more than they do freeing me you know Sure, Um, sure and so so in many ways, I don't know that that much would change. I mean, I may there might be an urgency to like let me get done those projects that I've been talking about or thinking about or have up on my blackboard. Like, okay, I don't have six months to do this anymore. Now I got to do it this Thursday, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, I don't know that I would change that much. But I think a lot about those 
elements and it's like you know and and it's like the it's like the eagles documentary right where like oh let's get back together and become a band again but you know what uh fry and henley we should get a larger portion of the profits of these shows because we're bigger names than you guys it's like you're all you're all worth a hundred million dollars who cares about the money that like why go out on tour at all if it's not about just enjoying being out with your friends and playing the music like you guys don't need the money so I just I think that there is a certain point where just things curve, and I think certain people like Maplethorpe or 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 Prince like they're just at different places. Carson makes sense to me. Like yes, I don't like his design. Whatever, that's irrelevant in this argument. But sure, I I kind of uh, I can understand that. I, well, I I think it's a little irresponsible to like blow off meetings and projects that you said you were going to do. But I could totally see not taking projects that don't interest me because life is short and I'd rather have as long as I'm living the way I want to live in the lifestyle I want to live and I'm able to do the things I want to do. Why make yourself miserable just to have more money? Right. You know, sure. so, sure. so I think that there's a big element of that, but it's, it is, man, it's an interesting discussion like this, like intersection of, of art and money and how, uh, I don't know, life goals, I guess. You know, I, I don't know. I, I would love to talk to somebody like Carson, like somebody at that level for lack of a better word where where those things seem to be there seem to be a sharper point at each of those sort of apexes of those things do you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah. and and i'd love to have that conversation about about if if you could get past the sort of talking points about how you manage that and how you what your expectations are and what how do you manage expectations of others around being at that level because because you're not getting you know the hot dog stand down the street you're getting microsoft you're not getting yeah, yeah. you know what i mean so but you, but you're also you at the level where where people uh you you for lack of a better term where you could be a a a, a jerk and people give you a pass right you know it's like the uh what's his name who did the the next logo uh it wasn't glazer uh was what's his name who's the guy who did the next logo the next oh oh the the jobs yeah the, yeah, yeah oh uh it wasn't milton glazer it, it was, was the other guy whose name i can never remember <laughs> hold on keep talking okay uh but you know he could come in and say you know what you're gonna pay me a quarter million dollars and you're gonna use whatever i give you you know what i mean that kind Paul of thing Rand. Paul Rand, yeah. it, like he can do that kind of thing where you and I could never go into a right. meeting and say, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, like you get a pass because you get to a certain point where people will make certain exceptions. And I wonder because you are who you are. Do you expect that pass? Do you get to a point where you expect that pass or d- does it does it not even come into play? Does it not even factor into your decision making process in in watching this this Carson film? Yeah, it doesn't seem like. It even crosses his mind that there could be repercussions. It seems like, oh, there's surf. I need to go surf. That there's yeah. such a connection to that, to that, either feeling or or experience or you know sense memory that that anything else goes out the window other than maybe his wife and child. You yeah, know what well, I mean? Like anything fu- else can wait. But the funny thing about that is that he has an expectation that when he does turn around and come back to it, there will be more work there. 
there were probably equal amounts of guys who like have some normal job and are just like, you yeah, screw man, I'm not going to work at McDonald's today because I'm going to go surf. And we would look at them and be like, oh, these losers who have no responsive sense of responsibility, right? Like, it, we can look at him as as right. this shining example because he's actually successful and and does good work and makes money when he makes money. But quick story, yeah, quick story. My my father's brother, my uncle Ronnie, who Uncle uh, Ronnie. Got Uncle it. Ronnie, who is no longer with us, uh, all all of the brothers worked for the railroad, and uh, on on the railroad you can you can you can mark up and you can lay off. So if you have something come up, you can call the dispatcher and say, "Hey, mark me off. I've got personal business," and somebody else will will fill that position, right? Okay, they, yeah. They'll get somebody else to take over and 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 fill that position. So if you've got you know, something that you need to do. And then when you're ready, you call and you say, hey, mark me back up for whatever route you were working. Sure. So Ronnie calls People could in. sub in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Ronnie calls up and lays off. And, and he's always been kind of a little flighty. Uh, and seven years later, he calls back in to mark up. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I swear. <laughs> and the dispatcher's like, who are you? Because <laughs> no one works there who was working there seven yeah, years ago. No, he's not in the system anymore. Nobody knows who he is. <laughs> and he just can't figure out why he can't just mark up and go back to work. <laughs> I like this Uncle Ronnie. Uh, yeah, what was the official rule, by the way? Was there an official rule of how uh, much time you could... I don't was know this that there all, was, rule, was this all was, sort of like on the on the outs, like all, like just like the unofficial thing that no one talked about kind of thing? Sort of, yeah. He yeah. was definitely fired, though. Um, but it was just funny that he was he he had no comprehension or just couldn't understand why, you know, you can you can lay off. Why can't I just mark up whenever I want, you know, seven years later? Uh, right. Of course. Right. Because that makes pre- <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Kind of funny. <laughs> the um, yeah. You know, it's it's I think that there are certain. There's a big element of all this, like putting aside the art and all these conversations we have, and and there's this larger question of sort of what kind of person you want to be and what your priorities are, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this stuff a lot um, lately, and I, uh, Chris uh, Connors um, sent us this 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 podcast. Did you listen to this thing, this uh, Brian Koppelman interview with Gabrielle I started, Hamilton? I started to listen to it, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is. Um, and you listen to her and you go, oh, man, I want to be more like her. You know, there's always the people who I, 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 I listen to and I meet. And I think I mentioned last week this uh, recording engineer, Carl Beatty, who's one of my professors up at Berkeley. put that in, by the way? Yeah, I, 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 was, uh, I, was going to, uh, I was going to put a link up. Um, that there, that there's this... Uh, there's this uh, guy, Carl Beatty, was one of my old professors who recorded a bunch of stuff and won all these Grammys and stuff. And you just like every time I see him or meet him, I'm like, man, I got to be more like Carl because there's it's like mm-hmm. they seem to see life in a very it's not that like everything about Gabrielle or everything about Carl or everything. It's it's sort of like you got to take little bits and pieces of everybody to try to figure out who you are. You know what I'm saying? Like like you see somebody and you're like, oh, I like the way he looks at work or how she sees being able to simplify and like sure. take little bits and pieces and put them in your like life toolbox. And I think that there's, you know, I put a thing in the show notes, um, like uh, how important general education is. Like uh, I, I, she talks in, in this interview about, you know, reading say poetry or, or philosophy. And she has a, she has like a sort of liberal arts education. 
and how all of those things impact how she cooks and how she sees the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, sometimes I wonder, we get so sucked into the actual making of the art or sucked into describing one single piece of work. And, but there is a level of your whole life sort of feeds into the way you see not only your art, but other people's work. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Like how well read you are and how much stuff you've seen or how much, how much art educate, a little bit of art education, just so you can understand general concepts that makes you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I well, wonder I, how that I all would, fits in. I would add to that, not only general education, but varied experiences. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, because there people, people learn and, and absorb and, um, sort of transmute things in different ways. And yes. some people are book learners. Some people are auditory learners. Some people are, are hands-on doing learners. Yep. And so the, so the takeaway from any of these things is going to be different for all of us. But right. I, I do believe what you're saying here. I, I, I do agree with the, the more varied your human experience, your life experience, the, potentially, the potential for a richer life, I believe, is greater. Yeah. And they don't have to be extravagant things. They don't have to, you know, I'm not saying that, that well, you have to go travel to Europe to, to, to be interesting or well-read no. or have right. a happy life. Although traveling to Europe is fun. <laughs> <laughs> but point. no, I, yeah, but, the, but, but, but there are, okay, tonight I'm going to see Aliens uh, at Town Hall and Sigourney Wait, Weaver. Aliens, like second Aliens? Like yes. And Sigourney over? Weaver is doing a Q&A afterwards. Oh, that's going to be cool. Is right. It, and it's... now I will admit that I am not a huge fan of Aliens. It's a great film. Come on. I know it is a good film. I'm just not a fan of like horror sci-fi. I think it's very good horror sci-fi. I'm just not a fan of scary movies. They just don't, mm-hmm. they don't do it for me. And the, the Alien, well, the first two anyway. Well, Alien 3 was good. Ron Perlman was good, good in 3. The second one's the one though, right? The second one is, well, I, I mean, it depends. Wait, is 3 it, the one in the prison? Yes. Yeah, okay. The, the first one was almost like, almost like Jaws in the sense that... Singular thing, yeah. The, the tension and the suspense was on not seeing the monster. Yep. Until you finally did see the monster, um, the 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 second one, Aliens, was. I mean, it was Jim Cameron, so it, it's an action movie, sort of action take on it, yeah. and it was very much um, an ensemble. Yep, you know, in terms of who brought what to the table, um, but you got some great characters in there. The great action oh, sure. sequences, of course. Michael Bean. Um, yeah, uh, Lance Henriksen. Yep. Who, if you have not, Lance Henriksen. Uh, there's a, a flick that he did called Near Dark with Bill Paxton, where they were vampires. Terrific movie, if you have not seen it. Near okay. Dark, Lance Henriksen. He also did a show, uh, which I wish they would not have canceled or, or wish they would bring back, called Millennium. That was, it was really interesting on Fox. Kind of an X-Files-y type thing. Okay. Um, but he, man, he was great as Bishop. He's yeah. Great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy plays Bishop. I forgot yeah, about that whole character. Right? So I, the point is that I'm going to see this thing tonight, and I'm going to see Sigourney Weaver talk. And yes, I'm able to do this because I have you know enough money to do it, and I live in a big city, right? But there's a certain thing where it's like, you know what? That's something that's probably not going to happen again. You know what I mean? Like it's a weird, rare thing that may change the way that I see movie making or the way sure. that I see Sigourney Weaver. And like, but those experiences will impact things that I make in the future, even like little things like going to this show tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's something really lovely about that, you know? 
Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, uh, I, I like the idea of experiences. I like the idea. I, I, I think there's something about, I'm not like a great books, university of Chicago kind of guy where we all have to read, you know, Plutarch or whatever. But at the same time, wait, wait. you said that was going to be in the show notes. <laughs> but but there there is a certain sense of of knowing where it all came from and where these references are and knowing even if you haven't read all the Shakespeare plays you know the general gist of them so when other people make references to it, you go oh yeah I know who Ophelia is or whatever, you know whatever it is um, yeah I mean I think that's true but I you know it's it is it is also very personal and and people that live in uh, rural Indiana right are going to have a different set of experiences that are equally valid and yeah. equally interesting and equally inspiring Absolutely. And in if, just a different area. And if you were a, if you, yeah, and, and they know far more about, they, they they will get a greater sense about, I don't know, what, what, grapes of wrath than I will because I've never farmed before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain element of, of, well, of just common experience, I think culturally right? too. I mean, sure. even even going from from uh, California to the East Coast, does it feel has, different? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Describe the difference. Well, California. Well, there are a couple things about California. There's the perception of California, and there's the reality of California. And the perception of California is that it's this laid back, endless summer wonderland of good vibes and, you know, tasty waves and all this kind of thing. And that's it's not that the, <laughs> I think the California dream that people either aspire to experience or or believe that is still true died in the 70s. The yeah, 70s was, was a for, for me. The 70s was a magical time in California. It was when fantastic. Fry ate all of it. Yeah, right. Um, but it's very different now and and coming to the east coast what and maybe it's maybe it's unique to dc because i have not been to many other cities on the east coast but so let me just let me just sort of rein it into dc versus where i was i was in uh, a suburb of los angeles about 30 miles to the east of los angeles which was you know uh claremont colleges were there but by and large it was this sort of cultural void. You know, it was a land of commuters and strip malls and parking lots and, you know, big box stores and, and that kind of thing. Um, so to come to D.C. where there are 19 museums, a 10-minute train ride away from me, and they're all free and they are all stocked with people who can answer almost any historical or cultural question that I may have about an object or a period in time or, you know, et cetera. Right. Uh, and then meeting and becoming friends with some of the people who either care for or restore the, I, it's, a, it's a night and day difference. And it's sure. been jarring. It's been absolutely like I've had to step up my game. I read more than I have in years. I, I converse more. I talk to people more than I have in years. I, try and get out of my shell because I, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to drive 2,600 miles to just put the same patterns in place that, that got me how I was feeling or where I was or, 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 you know, all of, all of that sort of stuff that got me there or, or that I, that I, I didn't want to be the same as I was. 
I wanted to step outside of things that were maybe uncomfortable for me that I didn't do. I wanted to try newer things. I wanted to have some different experiences. Have an adventure. That, yeah, that were commensurate with the environment. And I think that's the difference. Could I have done that in, you know, rural Pennsylvania? Absolutely. Could I have done it in, in uh, you know, Santa Fe, New Mexico? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there, if, if you are open to experiencing uh, the environment around you and, and, and taking in some of the people, places, things, smells, tastes, etc., I think it can be very different from one area of the country to another. I mean, people are all people, but the little details surrounding the experience of those people can be different. And that's what I've, what I've Do really enjoyed. Do you feel like you're a different person? Um, I, hmm, that's a, boy, that's a, that's a loaded question, Bill Wadman. Um, I, I guess my question is, okay, let me rephrase it. You, 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 you saw yourself at, at a certain place when you were in California. Yes. You see yourself at a certain place when you're here yes. and, and you've been there for what, like six months now, seven eight, months, eight months, eh, seven, eight months. Yeah. Okay. There's um, far less darkness around me. I will tell you that. Well, yeah. Okay. And that could just be around being around more people and being able to go to where there's a lot far of less are anxiety. Easily. Yeah. Uh, uh, I feel like I'm challenged more, but do you still feel like you're you or do yes. you feel like you? Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Okay. I, I guess still that, that have, was my question. I still have some of the same sort of routines and, and, you know, idiosyncrasies that I had, I don't think, um, I don't think they're as severe or as, I don't think they are as potentially debilitating as they were becoming. Yeah. Now there are challenges in a different way. Right. And I think I have become open or I have allowed myself to be more open to feedback from friends, feedback from, from other people. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I put in, in the show notes about the value of honest critique. It wasn't yeah. just related to work. It was meant to inspire a discussion around critique in all areas and, and feedback and, and conversation in that way, not just assuming that you've got it all under control and you've got it all handled. Right. Because speaking for myself, I don't. And I, I have come to value the input of some of my new friends, many of whom I've never met in person, but I consider them just as important and just as close as any friends that I had in the real world, IRL for the kids, um, <laughs> in, in, in the previous decades of my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, um, yeah, the critique thing is, is, is fascinating to me, I think you know what it's 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 very much like uh, like I was just saying about trying to take the best traits of different people. It's like you can you can listen to what people have to say about your work or or the way your life or advice or whatever it is, and like take the stuff that makes sense and discard the stuff that doesn't make sense or the stuff that you think is mm-hmm. you know them seeing you the way they see themselves, you know, sort sure. of like that like, whole thing. Well, we, we've all got our own filters, right? Exactly. Right. Both, right, right. Both input and output. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if somebody says, oh, I, I really don't like this picture of the purple background. It's like, well, maybe you just hate purple backgrounds. You know right, what I mean? Like right. might have nothing to do with the work, you know? Um, and I guess that, that, that's my only comment whenever anybody talks about, even about like going in with portfolio critiques and stuff and like this guy ripped my thing apart. It's like, well, listen to what he says, but don't, take his word as God because like, right. you know, he's just one person. Well, and who are you um, asking? 
You know, well, yeah. one of the, there's a, there's a terrific essay in this Aperture that Aperture book I've been I've been kind of reading on and off. Uh, it's a heavy read, by the which, way. Which uh, which book is that? The Aperture Anthology, The Minor okay. White Years. Ah, oh, right. right. Uh, I think uh, Matheson and I are going to do a collective kind of audio review. I'll, I'll remind remind me to come back around to that. That'll be fun. Is it yeah. worth the thirty six dollars? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. To see how that magazine came together under under Dorothea Lang, Ansel Adams, Minor White, all of these amazing photographers, and then to read these these essays from the first twenty five years of the magazine, it's fantastic. And what what's really cool, and I think I'm going to do this probably this week, is you can subscribe to Aperture for nine bucks a month. They have digitized every episode or every issue rather not oh episode. you can go back in the archives back to 1952 that's you pretty can go cool. back and read and see the actual magazine it's not just text yeah, you can fl- see the flipping layout. through it yeah yeah it's fantastic anyway so there's this this essay on critique and and one of the the points that that uh, uh ralph hattersley is the, the fellow that wrote the, the essay one of the points that he makes is you know critique is valuable but there are so many different nuances that contribute to it. And one of the things is, who are you asking for critique? You know, who is yeah. that? Per- if, if the person doesn't like you or your work, but you're still asking for their opinion, then the expectation needs to change a little bit because you already kind of know what you're going to get. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone you've ever heard of has gotten bad reviews. So it's sure. like, it's not, you know, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a tricky thing, um, but I I think that there's there's a certain amount of uh, standing up on your own two feet that Im- is involved. Where it's like you know what you you have to understand that you are doing what you want to do in life and you're making decisions, and other people can comment on you, but not every single one of those comments should knock you down, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's that's an element of sort of maturity is realizing that in many ways your your opinion of reality is just as valid as anyone else's sure you know um matheson makes a a, a great point what uh, he writes regarding critique you need to filter out uh, opinion versus actual critique there's a huge difference that's a that's a terrific point how do you define the difference <clears throat> well I, opinion is I, I i i think opinion is more visceral if I have a, a, an initial response to a piece or a body of work or a, a piece of music, um, it's first going to hit me viscerally. I, I'll give it – I'll give it a, a sort of a knee-jerk reaction or response to it. Whereas I think critique, you're, you're asking questions first. What do I want to get out of this? What do I – you know, uh, am, I, am, I, am I wanting to learn something about me? Am I wanting to learn something about the piece? Am I wanting to learn something about the artist behind it? Um, I think you have to decide what purpose the critique is for. And some of these things I, I, I found were, were interestingly addressed in, this, in these essays. Um, I think the difference between opinion and critique is, is critique goes hand in hand with intent. Whereas opinion can exist beyond it. Opinion can be uh, irrational. It can be uh, biased. It can be... Um, um, emotional, yeah. whereas critique, there I, I think there have to be some guidelines. There have to be some some not necessarily bullet points, but I think questions go hand in hand with critique. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a there's also a level of detachment from critique mm-hmm. where it's not about the person giving criticism. Yeah. Uh, Fielding says critique is also rooted in some knowledge of the discipline. Good sure. point. Good yeah. point. Yeah. It's, Matheson, um, uh, critique is looking at a piece of work and see how it belongs, fits within the larger body of the genre. Also good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's all, it, all this stuff is very, um, it's interesting because egos always get involved on either side of that, right? Mm-hmm. Or often mm-hmm. get involved on either side of that. Um, and it's also interesting whenever you read about, uh, you know, and this is like the, the Mayweather thing I watched and stuff. It's like how much a lot of these people that you have watched things about, uh, how much gets glossed over, like how, how big their egos are, how much of an a-hole they were or whatever it is, right? Like, you know, that this stuff and, and that like even the people that you uh, love and admire – had probably pretty serious uh, personal faults, right? Like, because everyone sure. does. Sure. Um, uh, and and that 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 there is no such thing as like this sense of perfection. You know how many how many years of Miles Davis's life were spent not necessarily making great music, or spent you know multiple years sitting around doing five hundred dollars worth of coke a day or whatever. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's a. Uh, uh, there was the thing that uh, Eric Clapton was saying that in the early 80s, he was like really depressed. Did you read this article about Prince? Apparently, Clapton said that he was like in a really bad way in the early 80s and having a hard time and didn't really understand where his place was and where mm. his music was going. And he went out in an afternoon and, and saw Purple Rain at a theater and it sort of reinvigorated his love of music. Huh. <laughs> that there was a guy out there doing something new and exciting. Wow. And, and that was something really... Send it to me. I didn't. I didn't read yeah, it. Yeah, it's all. I'll, I'll. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Uh, as a non sequitur, one last thing about Prince. Yep. Patrick uh, posted a thing. He he saw Prince at a roller rink in 1980. Oh my god! He that's said there awesome. were like a hundred people there. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, and he posted the flyer, like the 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 cover flyer. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Patrick's even older than you are, isn't he? Uh, a couple years, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Patrick. But he looks damn good, doesn't he? He man, he's a good-looking man. He is. He's got a way, you know what it is? He's got that thing, that way about him. Yeah. God, I wish I had that way about me. <laughs> <sighs> All right, we done with that conversation? Uh, probably not. I think it's a good we'll one. We'll come back to it. No. Yeah, I, if, you've, yeah. if you've got opinions or critiques of that conversation, <laughs> uh, podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Make sure you or, listen to the first 208 episodes that so you have some context in order yeah, to critique. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Uh, and and reminder of uh, the the, the uh, live Q and A show. So if you want to talk about it next week too, uh, you know, chime in with questions. Um, hey, I found this uh, interview with Sarah Oliphant, who does the uh, background. Please, please. You're going to tell me. You're going to tell me who Sarah Oliphant is. I'm uh, telling everyone amazing. out there in the world. Not she's you. another person I'd love to talk to. Uh, Sarah, yeah, well, I think this person saying. beat you to it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, this is a pretty interesting, uh, interview, uh, where, okay. So this is the woman who makes all of the backdrops you see in Seliger and Annie's pictures yeah. and all the Seliger, Annie, Miller Mobley. Yeah. The list goes on. Um, and she has her studio here in New York and this is an interview about how she does it and, and not like technical stuff, but more, 
you know, interesting part. Do you, you don't consider yourself an artist? She said, I consider myself a master craftsperson. This, this answer is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That Go one ahead. or further what's, along. What's the difference? It's not so much about the self. It's more about the thing. Not that I don't think, uh, think that my personal work is valuable. It's super important to me. I'm a workaholic. I will do your project or whatever it is. I will work on it day after day after day until I know it's the best that I can do or my own personal projects. It's about the thing that's more valuable to me than the ego. I'm sure it's some effed up part of my personality, but I like collaborating. I work better as a collaborator. Love that. Love um, I, I like the idea that she is saying that she's very, very good at what she does, but that she's just like, no, but it's not about me being an artist. I'm just, I'm the guy who puts together the perfectly sculpted marble block wall or whatever. You know what I mean? Like sure, sure. I'm the guy who knows how to cut those so that I don't even need uh, cement. Uh, and I, I like I like that idea. I think it's also interesting in there. She talks about how they said, you know, don't you get nervous when you're making things for all these fancy people? And she said, no, actually, I get nervous when I'm making it for some kid who saved up all his money to buy one of my backdrops. Right. He's just like when it comes to like people like Annie, I'll, he's like, I'll just I'll throw a gallon of paint in some water and slush it around and see what I get, <laughs> which I just think is really funny. Um but uh, it's, you know, it's really good. And she also says it's in- what's interesting is that I, I, I don't want my stuff to be noticed except for people like you. It, basically, like, people like you and I are supposed to look at the picture and go, oh, wow, that's a nice backdrop. But mm-hmm. my mother's not supposed to notice the backdrop. Right. Because right, right, right. it's, it's not the picture. It's just the background for the picture. Um, anyway, really interesting article. I, do you have anything else to add to that? That was uh, no. She seems super cool. Uh, yeah, she I, does. I, you know, I would love to. Next time I'm up there, I'd love to go and at least see her studio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice space she's got there. Yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, and then, and I, I love the history of the floor. I, I could spend all day photographing the floor. Well, yeah. You you, you know, know what you need to do? You need to go see that Pollock floor. That you'd love that. Yeah, yeah. That would be cool. Uh, that's good Maybe stuff. that would be a. What's that's all way out in Montauk, isn't it? Beyond yeah, it's, Montauk, it's 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 Springs, New York. It's like way out on one of those little tendrils on Long Island. Out, out How long did it take to get there from you? It's uh, I think a two and a half hour drive, three hour drive. Depends on the traffic. One, wow. Okay. Yeah. Once so you that's get an all day journey from me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, once you get out there, the problem is, is that it's all these sort of like uh, one lane roads. So mm. especially in the summertime, you just get traffic. So you might be. It might be only 10 miles that you have to go, but it might take you like, you know, an hour oh. to go 10 but miles. Is there like a, a ferry or anything that, that goes out? Because it's, it's on the little, the little finger, right? Well, the there's little... ferries that go from uh, Connecticut, like from where my mother lives over to there, mm. which actually a, it would be an interesting way to get there. Um, yeah, interesting. I'll have to discuss that. But anyway, yeah. But yes, the floor and the, the, the place is kind of cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's neat stuff. Um yeah, it's good. You hear the grinding outside? Uh, not really. Oh, they got you ever you've never seen one of these things that's like a a giant circular saw blade that's like 5 feet and it's got giant, you know, like 4-inch uh like Tyrannosaurus Rex teeth that just like chew maybe forward. I have. Yeah, maybe like chew cut, through asphalt. Maybe yeah, I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of those things. That's what's going on outside my window right now. Hey, you know what's really sad? I I have a um so I have this like fancy stereo that I bought 20 years ago. Um, and I have this really nice high-end adcom preamp and yesterday it stopped turning on, hmm. like just won't turn on at all. 
Is it and a tube amp thing? No, it's not. It's it's oh. it's all. It's so what all, do you do? Do you is it worth having it repaired? Well, I mean, new. I mean, used it probably goes for eight nine hundred bucks. But like, it's one of those things where I Maybe only it's now simple. Well, it could be something simple, and I actually contacted a repair place, and I've got to, uh, uh, I've got to bring it in. But like, if it costs three hundred dollars to repair, you know what I mean? Like, you start getting into. Uh, it's funny because I only ever use it now as a volume control, and there are fifty dollars. All they are is a potentiometer. Like all it is is a passive volume control with like XLRs in and XLRs thing, right? out. Well, the Griffin one's USB, but there, there's a TC Electronics and this other company that I found Electro or something make them now. It's fifty bucks. It's just like this heavily machined thing with a really nice pot inside of it with XLRs in and XLRs out, or RCA in, RCA out, depending on which one you buy. And actually, all my stuff has XLR, so I could do it balanced. But, like, all it is is a big freaking knob. So I could just have a knob going from my CD player DAC straight to my amp, you know, in the middle. And that would even be more minimal than what I have now. Anyway, long story short, I'm a nerd. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Uh, Ed Hoppe. God, this EO. is EO, EO Hoppe. Hoppe. Uh, this is EO just, Hoppe. If, somebody, if anybody's in, I think this is in London at the National Portrait Gallery, there's a Hoppe portrait show of er, like early 20th century street photography and people, and they are yeah. fantastic. And who did, who was it the other day that listed this guy as one of his? Uh, somebody from a few weeks ago listed this guy as one of his. It our was, photographer of the week. Yeah, it was. It wasn't John Minahan. It was the week before that. All right, we'll find it. Wasn't it? Um, I think it was. Yeah, and or, you know, it was Peter Goyne. My going, favorite going, shot of this going. whole thing is the one in the tunnel with the furniture ad. You see the guy like yeah, uh, the guy with oh, the bowler hat on. Yeah, that is terrific. so good. Yeah. Um, so this is black and white, early uh, London kind of stuff. Apparently, this show is there February seventeenth. The Ezra Pound too. That's yes. Uh, Till May thirtieth. So if you were in London, go to the National Portrait Gallery and see this show because these are absolutely beautiful, um, beautiful images. And I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, it's nice. Um. Yeah. Before I forget, what about the guy with the monocle, uh, Fritz Lang? <laughs> just like holding it. It's not even like there's no surround. There's no right? It's just a piece of glass. Yeah, just a little <laughs> lens that he just <laughs> popped in there. Oh God, man! I you know I was so uh, my friend a couple weeks ago when I was in Boston recommended this sci-fi book called Fluency. Okay. And so I I I have uh, Conrad's hand-me-down Kindle. So I I I bought it and I'm I was reading it and I. Man, I haven't read a fiction book in a long time. I'm not a big fiction reader, and so I like I just chewed through this book the past few days, and I'm and and I've realized though that I'm getting old enough that I need reading glasses. So I got reading glasses. Nice. It's actually it's it's amazing how your eyes, how much your eyes can relax wearing reading glasses versus not. And I know as somebody like you who's always worn glasses of some sort, right? For for a lot of stuff. Uh for a long time. I think yeah. I started wearing glasses in 2002. Oh, really? Okay. It was only yeah. but, and for for close, not far, right? Or uh, no, the other way far. around. For far, way, not close. Far. Okay. So when you read a book, you take your glasses off and just have it for how how far away from your face? I don't know. Um, hold on, let me grab a book. I don't know. Uh 2 feet, foot and a half? Oh, you oh, okay, okay. You read that far away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Can you read yeah. closer or is it out of focus when you go closer? Um, it's out of focus. Let's see. It's out of focus when I'm about... Uh, six or eight inches away? Yeah, six, eight inches away. It starts to right. fuzz out. Like you can't... Isn't it funny how you can't 
you feel like, oh, I should be able to get closer and look at that. Cl-. It's like, nope, you're too nope. old. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we're old. It's all yeah. right. Um, anyway, don't don't know what that where I was going with that, but I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, I like this surrealism thing. Tell it's me about this. It's pretty funny, right? I, I saw this, The Guardian, which is a, a terrific uh, news, not only newspaper, but feed. Uh, they posted this thing, Peter Capaldi, who I guess he's the new doctor. Uh, yes, for the last year or so, yes. Yeah. Um, also, if, if you want to see an early, a terrific early Peter Capaldi performance, uh, I can't recommend Local Hero enough. Peter, Peter Riegert, Capaldi's great. Uh, music by Mark Knopfler, which is a, it's a brilliant soundtrack. I, I will say, though, that I'm surprised you put this in here considering how much you hate Doctor Who. I don't hate Doctor Who. I, I, don't, I don't hate anything. Um, I, I, I just don't have You're any. a little dismissive of Doctor Who. Uh, I've watched it enough to know that I don't like it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, oh, by the way, one last thing, TV show, before you finish this, uh, the, the, the Night Manager, have you seen this? No. Uh, Hugh Laurie as an I, international I him, arms dealer. Yeah, I saw him in an interview, and it, it, oh. the clip, it looks terrific. Oh, my God. We're three episodes in. It is super heavy. Like, is super it? intense. What's yeah. it on? What's what's the... Uh, I think it might be AMC. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, anyway, if people who haven't watched it or whatever, it's really, really good. All right, so anyway, the Peter Capaldi doing Peter Capaldi, uh, the, the Guardian writes, Peter Capaldi takes us through the history of surrealism from its origins in the cafes of Paris with André Breton to its Freudian obsession with uh, desire and dream and on to Dolly's lobster phone and Oppenheim's furry teacup. Uh, it's, it's part of the Tate Modern, I guess, is, is, is why the Tate commissioned this. Is that, doing is these that, little series of things, yeah. Yeah. And it's actually it's pretty this, cool. Yeah, it's this cool little five-minute film that goes through kind of uh, the, the origins of, of surrealism, and it's narrated by, by Peter Capaldi. I just thought it was kind of cool. It's kind of He's, nice uh, he does it well. You know what's interesting is that, okay, this is what, like seven minutes long or something like that? Five. Uh, five minutes long. Do you think – how much, how much of a sense of surrealism can somebody get in five minutes? Like if you watch one of these about every like a school of art, yep. do I you think, think you would get enough to – Yes. To, yeah, okay. That's what my question was. I think the, you would get enough to know whether or not you wanted to pursue it. And, and shouldn't that kind of be the point? It's a trailer for surrealism. Yeah. Right? There, there in, the, was, in the sense that, you know, you watch a trailer for a film. Does that give you enough information to know whether or not you want to see the film? I think this is a terrific trailer for surrealism. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was that documentary a few years ago, the crazy British guy. Um, You're going to have to narrow it down a little Jerry. bit. <laughs> the crazy British guy. Oh, yeah, him. Uh, He's great. The impression, it's, it's uh, Waldemar Janoshek. God, I got that wrong. Uh, called the Impressionist Painting and Revolution. He's like this art historian who does this TV show. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, doesn't um, sound familiar. And he is like this one of those art history guys who's like really excited about telling you about you know like that kind of thing, where it's five ep- hour long episodes talking about the Impressionists kind of stuff. Um, I'll see, see if I can find one for. Oh, okay. Okay. It is this stuff is fantastic here. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can find. Uh, oh, here's a, episode one of four. Here we go. Um, I'll, I'll put Baltimore, one in the show notes. Janusz Sazak. Yeah, that. If yes, exactly that yeah. guy. Uh, it must be what, Polish. Is that Polish? Probably. Sorry, this episode is currently unavailable. Thanks, BBC. 
Yeah, exactly. But there are there are other places where you can right. get enough to understand what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I found the second episode. I'll there just used put to it be a notes. Chrome plugin that uh, lets you think that you're BBC. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll put a link in show notes. But like, it is those kinds of things where maybe, God, I, maybe we all need to go. <laughs> not all of us, but like, if you're interested in impressionism, spend three hours watching this documentary about impressionism, and then when you go see impressions and the same thing, I will admit that I'm not a huge surrealist fan. Like I've seen a lot of surrealist art, but mm-hmm. it doesn't grab me, you know, um, in the same way that like my sister loves Chagall. And I just like, I look at Chagall and I go, and I don't get it. You know, um, I, I like Chagall a lot. Yeah. We'll see. There it is. Uh, it's just interesting how I wonder what it is about different art forms that we all like or dislike and why and I, it's probably all psychological unconscious kind of stuff. Um, anyway, the doctor on surrealism, that's, that's good. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, it's, uh, there is a series. So I wonder how you get to the rest of the series. Uh, maybe, maybe it's from the Tate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll see. Uh, let's see. Part of the unlock art series. I'll, I'll find it. Yeah. You'd think, uh, yeah. Unlock art. Here we go. Guardian would, would include that. It's a short film series. Yeah. What's yeah. the funny, funny side of art, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I'll, oh, I'll... Alan Cumming does one on pop art. Uh, Frank Skinner on performance art. You like Alan Jemima Cumming. Kirk on, I do. I think he's hysterical. I, I wish I could. I wanted to see Cabaret when he was doing that. I've never seen him perform anything live, but I, I, I saw think Cabaret with him. Uh, I would love to. Back I, at, I think, the first time he did it. Yeah. I, I think he's terrific. Uh, I thank my sister for making me go to that because I probably wasn't all that into it and I did it anyway. And now I'm very happy I had. Uh, I put a link to the search results on the Tate website that links to a bunch of these. Yep. Okay. Put it in the show notes. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, no. Man, I feel like that's a heavy episode. Good. It's good. <clears throat> it's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, it is. Uh, cycles? Cycles. What was that? La- cycles? Cycles. Yeah. I like Rena's one of the water and the ice. Right. That's right. nice. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> um... Bodan yeah, again, put the the wood burning. That's cool. Yeah, that's a that's a nice shot. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of literal interpretation, a lot of metaphorical interpretation. Uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, that was a nice little gurgle you got going. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, uh, Johan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Johan. Yeah. Tirol. Uh, I love the shot of of the flare kind of coming up the alley. I like that little defocusing on the right side. Nice. Very nice. Um, John, that is an intense portrait. I like that. It almost reminds me of the guy from um, uh, Epic Mealtime. Yeah. That's awesome. Cycles and he gets a picture of a bicycle guy. <laughs> yeah. It's cute. It's good. I like um, it. Uh, Chuck Dolan. 555 timer chip at 1.65 hertz. Love it. Yeah. Super nerd. Super nerd. Hey, maybe uh, Chuck can uh, take a look at my uh, my Adcom preamp and fix it. Right. Uh, John Jennings. This is for travel, but man, what a terrific shot. Uh, I, I like that an awful lot. Yeah, did he use the... Uh, we'll have to ask. John, did you... Uh, what, a circular polarizer maybe or... Yeah, it's because it's it's not a, a graduated filter because it doesn't get darker on the top edge of that branch. Or is it an, is it an IR filter? No, because an no. IR would change the sky color. 
No, I mean, well, it's certainly it's stuff done in post, but, yeah. but, but I'm just saying the, the actually, you know what, when you look at it bigger or smaller, you notice that there's a little bit of like a, a fuzzy halo around the branches that go up into the sky. Like it's a little lighter around there. You see that? I like it. Yeah, it almost reminds too. me of uh, the cover of Zabriskie Point for some reason. Zabriskie Point. Is that an album? Yeah, Pink Floyd record. Yeah. It was, it's a film, but it was a soundtrack. They did the soundtrack. Oh, I, I had never heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, is um, it based on the uh, Zabriskie Point in uh, D- Death Valley? Uh, probably. Yeah. yeah. Somehow. You know, I don't know. You I know. Just like music. I didn't see the movie. Pink Floyd. Um, Seattle Earth Day installation, Mike Waller. This is fun, like pouring out clothing. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Urging people to that? reuse and recycle clothing. Hey, what do you do? Like, okay, let's say that you have socks that you don't wear anymore. Do you just throw them in the trash? Why don't I wear them anymore? Uh, they don't fit you. They're getting a little ragged, they but fit. they're not. Why would well, they not like, fit me? Or my sometimes you like you, you, you know you like uh, uh they they get smaller because they get uh, in the in the uh, dryer. It depends. That kind I, of stuff. I usually will will mend them if they get a little threadbare on the heel or the toe or something. I will usually mend them once. Uh, but then if if there are holes in them, I I tend to just toss them. Yeah, and then they what end up in a landfill, and then they are underground, so they don't get oxygen, so they don't decay. Like, what are you supposed to do with fabric that could be recycled, quote unquote, but isn't good enough to like give to goodwill to let other people use? That's a great question, and I don't know. I I have only seen like the the you know bring us your clothing where they have the yellow. Those we had those at my apartment complex in California. We had those big yellow. Uh, sure, donation a, boxes yeah which a lot but, of them are a per, big scam apparently oh really yeah like it's it's quote-unquote nonprofits making money off of them and then spending it on stuff that you didn't expect the kind of thing um oh i didn't know that yeah apparently the, huh. then there's like i had a i i use i usually do levi's shrink to fit but then i don't shrink them to fit i just get them dry cleaned every month or so mm-hmm. um but one of them ended up in the laundry and got washed. And so they're like, they're you like up to my calves. Anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with these jeans? They're well, those, like perfectly. Don't, there's nothing yeah, I guess wrong. I could donate them and figure if somebody else can fit into them. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I wouldn't donate, you know, clothing that's got holes or tears or, you know, it's threadbare or anything. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if they're perfectly good jeans, they're just too small for you. Just donate them. Yeah. It's weird, right? Stuff you don't there's really think about. Like a secondhand store near you, or like a consignment store or something. Yeah, um, yeah. There's places you can bring. It. Apparently, there's a church in downtown Brooklyn that if you call them up, they'll come pick up your stuff. Um, Saint Anne, Saint Mary's. How far like is that. downtown Brooklyn? I mean, you far enough drive that we all the way over for a pair of jeans. Well, no, I, I, we have bags full of clothes in, ah, the cl- okay. in the closet that we've been meaning to bring somewhere, and we just haven't figured out where to bring them. In fact, it was on our list for the weekend, and we didn't get it done. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know, it's it's amazing how many clothes you go through that you don't even think about. It. Anyway, cycles. Like, uh, so uh, next up, transition. I like that one. Transition. Transition. Next assignment. Transition. Hashtag transition. Transmission. What? No, not transmission. <laughs> Tr- transition. Trans. <laughs> transposition. Trans. <laughs> transcommission. <laughs> what? It's the transcommission. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? Ladies and gentlemen, I've called a thing of the Trans Commission to figure out... Hey, is your subway really going to shut down for like 26 years so they can rebuild the whole thing from scratch or something? Uh, Apparently, no. Apparently, they are are looking at ways where they can shut down portions of lines at a time. The thing Um, I don't understand is that your subway shut down for like seven hours a day. Why can't they just do the work at night? I don't know. That's, I mean, you would think that they could. And and I, I don't know. 
Like New know. York's it's, got it's it bad because thing. we never shut down. So like, you know, when do you do work? Eventually they got to right. do it at night. But anyway, interesting. There hasn't, apparently there hasn't been any major work done since 1976 when, when the red when line was opened. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm all for safety and efficiency. So if they need to shut it down, shut it down. I really, but, I, uh, I like the DC subway, except for the, when it's, you know, when there's like, there's only one train going through downtown on the red line today. And you're like, what? You know, and you're standing there for 45 minutes. Um, but it's better than walking and, and it is, you know, I, I still haven't, they're, they're implementing all kinds of new trains and I still, the, they, Adrian calls them the fancy trains and I still have yet to ride the fancy train. I've been on a fancy train. Have you really? They're supposed to be really nice. It is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Are they padded Um, seats and everything? Uh, I, I remember more just the fact that it was like brand new and clean and perfect inside. Huh? Uh, I think it was not, not to say that those different the, color the trains, padding. Yeah. The trains in DC, I, in my experience have been very clean and I have not experienced a lot of delays or it, it, they single track every once in a while, but I, I have yeah. not experienced, um, yeah, you also don't have to use them every day to, to commute. No, right. no, 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 no. That's where it gets complicated. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I hope to see that that uh, works out for you, for your for your whole city. Right. Uh, photographer of the week. This one's you. What do you got? Uh, I don't. I don't remember how I found Alex Prager. I, you know what? I may have been looking up. I don't know. I don't know how I found it, actually. Um, anyway, uh, very cinematic work. She uh, lives in L.A., works in L.A., um very very cinematic very cinematic work you know, um, you know what she does she she plays with uh aspect ratios a lot yeah like yeah the, there's there's some that are are almost like a 2.2 to 1 sort of like super wide screen movie kind of angle there's yes that and and a lot of it looks like it's shot from a crane you yeah. know like that like there is that sort of film production-y cinematic like from a from a from a technical standpoint not necessarily just the aesthetic standpoint although there is that too i can't i can't i don't know why i like this work so much but i um i spent a lot of time on her site pouring do, through it do you, do you think that some of these are actors real people do you think it's composites like it's gotta some be of the- i i think it's gotta be actors well, there's some like the ones where there's people waiting at the bus stop with this red brick wall on the, on the main set um, or the or the one a few in where there's a bunch of people on the train and then a bunch of people in front. The people in front look like they're sort of composited together. You know what I mean? Almost like it's a multiple shot kind of thing. Like it feels a little um, uh, Sergeant Pepper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You see that one I'm talking about? I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's OK. It's staged, but it okay. doesn't. I don't know. It's almost like uh, like a um, oh Jesus, what's his name? Like a Chris Guest movie, like oh, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, where yeah, yeah. where you've got your your players. Here's the scene. Uh, now go do the scene. Yeah, yeah. You guys act. I'm taking pictures. Yeah, I mean it. Just it, uh, it. You know, I think maybe there's a scene, and there's maybe a loose discussion of of uh, you know here's what the scene. I don't know. I mean, I'd love to talk to her about it yeah. and and see you know, how this comes about because it's, it's, it's really terrific. Uh, there's one where it's like looking through a, a window, green wall where the window and all the people are outside the window. Right. I really, I think that one's really great. You said well, she, she there's a film, film kind too? of of that where okay. it's, it's, um, 
It's Elizabeth Banks. I, you know what? I need to actually dig a little deeper. It looks like it Elizabeth is. Banks. I think it is Elizabeth Where she's looking through a window at this crowd of people, uh, I, I'm assuming, imagining stories, imagining their lives, and then she ends up amongst them in the – I mean, it's just – it's a beautifully shot piece. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, again, I, I keep coming back to – I don't know why – I like her work so much other than maybe it taps into this sort of, uh, I don't know, cinematic collective unconscious, you know, like it, yeah. it looks without looking exactly like a particular film. It looks like any number of movies feel. And very uh, filmic, not just when I don't mean cinematic, I mean film like uh, grainy sort of. It, they a lot of them feel visually like a film still. Yes, they have that yes. film kind of feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so really, really cool. Um, there's a series called Compulsion that I really dig. Um, it starts out with these like shots of eyes, and there's a there's a there's a close up of an right eye now. set as a diptych with another picture, and then some of those diptych pictures, like the there's one of. Um, Griffith Park, where there's like a taxidermied wolf and then yeah. a girl with a car. Very Crudson-esque, yeah, right? Yeah, very, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, you've got this sort of play on, on large scene, small scene, reaction, uh, evoking a reaction. It's just, the headlights are even on and everything. <laughs> right, right. Because, <laughs> you know. They have to be. Of right? course, yeah. yeah, gotta, yeah the yeah. door's got to be open. Yeah. Headlights have to be on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't – I mean, like I said, I don't know – you know, some of it reminds me of Cindy Sherman a little bit. And I wonder if – if this again, I'd love to talk to her, but is she in any of these? Are yeah, because I was just looking at ones with – there's this, like, shorter blonde woman uh, in the uh, Weekend series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I wonder, like, and it's a really, she's a really sh- interesting looking model. I wonder who that is. Um, yeah. And there are people like, like the, the subjects are people, if they're not the actual people I'm thinking of, they look very similar to the people that I'm thinking of. Yeah. And I well, wonder if she's that's in intentional. She has, she has good casting options out there. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, uh, uh, there's a very Ophelia one in the uh, weekend. I'm, you know, I'm just looking at that where she's got the sunglasses on and the red dress, the red skirt. Oh no, there's there's one where the like a girl actually in the water laying, uh, looking okay. up at the sky. Yeah, yeah. There's another uh, Maggie. Is this one? Oh okay. Yeah. Oh, same yeah, kind yeah, of thing. yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's just really really good. And and again, I don't know what she's trying to say, if anything, maybe. And this is the this is the thing, right? Is 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 anything is is this any deeper than I think this would be a really terrific composition and I'd like to do this or or are they commentaries are they saying something um I I need to do a little more digging because so far all I've done is if they did say something more we're trying to say something more would that mean more to you than if they weren't I don't think I would it would mean more I don't think I would like the picture as an individual element anymore, but I may appreciate, you know, we've had this conversation about Pollock. I may appreciate what she's trying to do with the work more if I understood that there was some backstory. I don't think it would take away from the individual pictures and, and whether they succeed or fail, whatever that even means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I, I, you know, I really just like the composition of these things. I like looking at them as pictures. Yeah, I really uh, like the the weekend series is my favorite, I think. Yeah. 
So this beautiful. is 2010. Oh, this the shot of of, uh, of the redhead in the cab, Irene. I love that one, and the one before it, the Sophie in front of the stars, like the oh, yeah. field. Yeah, that yeah, one's yeah, really great. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's got a she's got a very specific look. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how much she's trying to say with it. It's interesting. It's like even the Coots and stuff, where it's like, I want less. I want nothing on your face. You know, right, right. And some right. of these characters have a very like it, they could be saying or thinking anything. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of the game. Yeah, there is that sort of every man or every woman kind yeah. of feel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there there are themes here that yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I would imagine they're intentional, you know, sort of coming of age, adolescence. Especially the early stuff, like the 2008 stuff is yeah, very Cindy right Sherman-y. Like, yeah, the big you know, valley. Yeah, and her laying on the – yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, her I, her I laying like with the, the cigarettes, the birds one, like all of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool yeah. perspectives. I like I like uh, what what do you what do you think of of th- those really low perspectives where you're shooting up at your subject? Do you you don't really well, do that not very flattering? Much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really uh, saying something with it, isn't it? Yeah, you also have to. It's like I think those those kinds of perspectives require a certain kind of the subject has to be good, mm-hmm. um, either attractive or interesting looking or whatever it is, because sometimes it just looks terrible. Yeah, uh, I mean, it looks good on these people because they're all these like beautiful women and that kind of stuff. And she's going for a certain look. I mean, there's a certain you're saying something by looking up from below, you know? Um, yeah, man, I really like this stuff. Well, you, you know, some of the some of the film it. stuff. There's a OK, look at the touch of evil. It's like Brad Pitt as Eraserhead kind of a feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just nutty. Yeah, I'm going through some of these films still once. That's cool. No, the actual films. Like go to go. Oh to no, I know, I know. I was just, Touch, I was just looking through yeah. one of those. Um, yeah, I'm Touch going. Touch of I'm Evil. Going. It's ah, it's there we go. kooky, right? But I oh, can't. Yeah. It's like I I can't look away. <laughs> Gary Oldman, who I love, I love me some Gary Oldman. Brad Pitt's a weird looking dude, especially like this. You know what? I think you may be the first person. To ever say that sentence. That, that Brad Pitt's a weird looking dude? Brad Pitt is a weird looking well, dude. Well, in this particular thing with his crazy hair. <laughs> He's got like the David Lynch eraser yeah, exactly. head thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so terrific work. I really like this work. Um, there are a couple books that have been published, but it's, you know, it, they've gone into um, uh, collectible status, you know, where, where you, you yeah, can't yeah. really afford them. Uh, like there, this compulsion is uh, $295 on Amazon new, uh, in the new and used area. And then there's one called Face in the Crowd. Oh, it is Elizabeth Banks. Okay. It is Elizabeth Banks uh, from 2014. Yeah. The Rooney Mara one where she's putting on her clothes or taking her clothes off is the, the reversed version of the mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Yeah, so there are some books, but they are, you know, in the 100, 200. Oh, the... Wow, the the hardcover of Face in the Crowd is going for uh, five hundred new or, or used. That's good for her. You know, I, I wish there was well, some. You know, she could, there might be that like a thousand of those books or five hundred yeah. of those books, and you know, it's a it's it's so it's a way to sell prints without selling prints, especially like if she's she seems very much of the uh, art. She's she's mm-hmm. an art photographer as much as anything, right? Uh, I wonder how big they, the prints sh- – sh- I wonder what, what size her prints are. 
Yeah, good I, question. You know, some of these I would like to see very small with a very large mat around them where I really have to get in close to see what's going on. And then others I think would look amazing, you know, like Crudson size, like where they're, you know, five feet on a side or six feet on a side or something like that. Well, she also, it doesn't, her stuff doesn't really require, um, uh, uh, the, the quality doesn't need to look good when it's big. Cause like part of it is the fact that it falls apart a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is that sort of grainy, almost not soft focus, but there is that, that, that sort of filmic, as you, as you mentioned earlier, look yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Hey, uh, one, one last thing we, I've been, I've been having, uh, uh, conversations with, um, uh, Martin Rotz, Chris Matheson, okay. uh, John Wilkening. Never heard of him. Never. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who are these guys? Yeah. Uh, anyway, we, we are relaunching Faded and Blurred. Okay. As, as more of um, a collaborative space. Cool. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at... at doing work almost as a mini collective where there are individual projects, but then there will be collaborative projects that, that um, are interesting because we're all, well, other than John and I, we're all not only different time zones, but different continents. Uh, Martin right. is in Amsterdam, Matheson's in Japan, uh, John is in Philadelphia. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, so there, 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 there's going to, it, it's going to be similar to the previous incarnation in that there will be, you know, sort of visual art and visual inspiration and that kind of thing, but it's multiple voices. Okay. And, and I, 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 I want to encourage collaboration with other people and not, not just in, in the work, but in the discussion around the work. Cause that's really what we're, what we've been talking about is, w will is, there be a global editor or is everyone have their own right to post whatever they want? Um, they have, it will be individual voices. Everything is going to be funneled through, uh, uh, a central sort of, um, no, everyone will not, will not edit their own stuff because we okay. want to stage things correctly and, and make sure that people aren't posting on one day when somebody else is posting something. Right, right, right. So there's, there's kind of an editorial, there will be an editorial calendar that we, we can all kind of look at, but it is, it is very much a, a collective in terms of, there, there, there will not be one person deciding what goes up, how it goes up. That's the point of it is to cool. write and to present work in your own voice yeah. that we can all kind of learn and, and kind of riff off of each other. That sounds um, like fun. So hopefully within the next, uh, hopefully in during this week, the first couple things will go up uh, and then uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of this new chapter and see what, what, what happens. So anyway, stay tuned. Exciting. Yeah. Um, what do you got? Uh, I think that's it. Oh, there's a new Ask Bill and Dan. It's a guy, guy called What'd in. What did you guys talk about? Uh, well, we, we actually talked. Uh, one of the questions was about how much light you need for wet plate and ways to get it without spending $20,000 on pro photo gear. Um, so wait, you don't do actually wet pretty so fun do do? Thing. Does Dan do wet plate? No, but we can read enough about how much light people who do use wet plate use and figure out other ways to do it. You um, need... 12,000 watt seconds. Uh, yeah, it's like about almost 10,000. But the thing yeah. is that about light is that you double the power. You only get one more stop, right? So like if you, if you, you have the power, you just got to move your lights half the distance and you're right back where you started. You know what I mean? So there's like ways to sort of compensate for lack of power by moving lights in or using more effective uh, uh, modifiers and that kind of stuff. So anyway, 
Ask Bill and Dan.com. Go listen. It's good. Um, uh, Jacqueline down at the Smithsonian did some wet plate, and they – I, I don't remember how many pro photo heads that they tied together, but it was something like 13,000 watt seconds they ended up yep. with. And it was just yeah. like – Boom! Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, yeah. One that's, blast of that's that's what you need to do, and um, you know, especially if you have them far away, or if you're going through a softbox or that kind of stuff, that right, just stuff right. soaks up light. But you know, if you're doing like bare reflectors or or beauty dish, and you get it a couple feet away, like you don't need quite as much as you think you need, you know. Um, but anyway, just uh, interesting stuff, and and more of a uh, mental puzzle than anything. Mm, um, fun. And uh, I think that's it. Podcast. So wait, when are what? you? Uh, wait, wait, a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Yeah. You're doing all this stuff behind the scenes. When are we going to see any of it? Uh, I don't know. I've done five, I think, five pictures. That are done? They're ready to post? Uh, four are ready to post. One is not quite ready to post. Is, is the on. idea to get the entire series done and do it at once? Or are you yeah, going to start I think leaking so. them or, out? Or get the whole series done and then leak them out day by day. Uh-huh. Um, it's just, they're just time consuming just because, well, they're a lot of, some of them have a lot of posts and then some of them are just sort of organizing and, and, and scheduling, which is what's, what's your target in terms of number of pictures? Uh, I was thinking 15, maybe 20, mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Uh, I've got, so I've got the five, I've got two or three more that I have ideas and I'm working into the scheduling of. So that gets me to eight. The thing, it's one of those things where it's like, if you asked me day one to come up with 15 different things, I couldn't do it. But then you start doing it and you go, oh, yeah, I could do that. And, you know, mm-hmm, you add another mm-hmm. one. And, like, they sort of build on them on themselves. Or, are, or you meet Is somebody. it a recurring cast or are you doing different people? Different people. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, you know, people come to me and we'll have weird things. Like, there's a, a girl that I've been talking to who has a 15-year-old tortoise that she has as a pet. Neat. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. That's so we'll pretty use funny. the tortoise. Or some girl said, oh, I might have access to the, you know – Empire State Building or backstage at the opera or, you know what I mean? Like weird Mm -hmm. kind of places. And, and that could be cool. There's a girl who up in Connecticut, whose father owns like a big machine shop factory kind of thing. That could be fun. Like if I can get all the way up there with my lights and we have a good concept, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, it's just time consuming and I'm not doing it like full time, full time, just cause I'm trying to also do, you know, stuff that actually pays bills. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's coming along. Uh, it's just uh, are, are to you going to be down here anytime soon? Uh, I may be because I, w- I want to go see my niece and nephew. Why would he have in mind? Well, at, there's a new show at uh, the National Gallery. Okay. We could, we could wire um, ourselves up. It's a print show. It's, it's like the history of, of prints since the <laughs> – not prints. Prints. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not that. It's <laughs> it's uh it's called Three Centuries of American Prints from the National Gallery of Art. And um Fielding's friend Michelle said you have to go see this. It's beautiful. All right, I'll so go see it. I, uh, I, I want to go see it. If you can wait, it, will it be there like in 3 weeks? Uh April 3rd to July 24th. Okay, so yeah. Uh let me I'll figure it out and we can do that. And maybe I mean, I will you. probably go anyway just because yeah. I missed that. What was the one that I missed that you Oh, the uh you saw it and I didn't. Which one? At, at the National Gallery, there was a show that you you ended up seeing. You were here when your mom was in town. Oh, the 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 larger the larger photography. No, like the one was no. It, uh, the Gustav. Uh, how do you pronounce call it? Kayabot? Oh yeah 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 yeah. The floor scrapers when it was yep, here. Yeah. I didn't, oh right. I didn't see that. Oh, that was up on the wall. Yep yep yeah, yep. Yeah. I forgot. Oh, that's not there all the time. Gotcha. No. 
No, it's gone. So and uh, and then the uh, the the Vermeer was there too. Did you go see that one? Right, I did not. Uh, yeah, so those are the, yeah, I liked seeing those. Anyway, um, so this one looks like it's uh, it's pretty amazing. So I'd like to go see that. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with you. Okay. Um, anybody have any questions for next week? Send them in podcast on taking pictures.com three, four, seven, six, eight, seven, 94, 11. And, uh, we are at Bob Wadman at Jeffrey Sidoris on Twitter. Yep. And, uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. All right. See ya. Going on and on the way we are for so This way